I invite you to remain standing as today we read from Paul's letter to the church of Galatia. We know to be the book of Galatians. We read from the sixth chapter these holy words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you, for those in the sanctuary, as well as those watching on television and online. We're grateful to have everybody here as a part of our worship experience. We say a special word of greeting to those in Murfreesboro and Hamburg and Marshall, as well as those in our respective hospitals across the state as our homebound as well. We are thankful to have everybody who is a part of our worship experience today. There are a few announcements I want to very quickly mention to you. If you'll turn to the back of your order of worship, you will notice that there is an All Saints service of remembrance in the columbarium next Sunday afternoon at 5.30. It will be a brief service of about 30 minutes. We hope you'll come and be a part of that. Now listen, that is an addition to the Sunday morning All Saints service of worship. We have said that repeatedly. We have printed it time and again, and we keep getting calls from people who are angry that we've done away with the All Saints service on Sunday morning. I'm not an idiot, you all. We're not going to do that. This is an addition to that. So we hope that you'll please mark that on your calendar. We also want to remind you, as you can see, about the Veterans Luncheon. We hope that if you would be willing to sign up for that, the sooner the better. We would appreciate that very much. Also, prime timers and friends are going to go to the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts this Thursday, November the 2nd at 10 o'clock. They will meet there. And the one and only Paul Bash and the beautiful Susan Robbins will be leading that tour. So we hope that you'll sign up. They need more people to sign up for that. So if you're one of the prime timers, please take an opportunity to sign up for that event as soon as possible. You can let Reverend Daniel Curry know. And then one other announcement I want you to be aware of. Last week we made an appeal and asked you to bring crackers, saltine crackers, recognizing that if you're a child and the only thing you have to eat is soup, Crackers go a long way in filling up one's belly if they have nothing but soup to eat otherwise. You all came through. You gave enough crackers for the next 10 months, you all. That is awesome. That's literally true. We don't need to make an appeal for crackers for another 10 months. Thank you, thank you, thank you for recognizing the need and responding accordingly, which is what our sermon is about today. So let us pray. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We all know people who are more than willing to criticize Christians. We're hypocritical. We're too judgmental. We're too rigid. We focus on the petty. All of that is true. At one time or another, we can be that way in the life of the church. I know a church, as I've mentioned before, that's split over what kind of grass to plant in the front 
of the new sanctuary. Now that's petty, you all. Even in our own denomination right now, we are arguing and bickering and people are leaving over what is, in my estimation, pretty silly stuff. We can be that way. They have a right on occasion to be critical of us because we can be hypocritical and judgmental and too rigid and petty. But what would the world look like without the church? It would be survival of the fittest, not the meek shall inherit the earth. Those who are lost, walking aimlessly through life in the midst of darkness, would continue in darkness and never know the light of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the life of the church, we can be petty. We can argue about theology and we can discuss till we're blue in the face whether women have a right to play a role in leadership in the life of the church. And we can even discuss vehemently our understanding of who's entitled to participate in the sacraments and who is not. But one of the things I never hear from anybody who is critical of the church is this. Why won't the church help people in need? Nobody criticizes the church when it comes to caring. We do it. We do it well. We do it time and time again. Our responsibility in the life of the church is to recognize there is a need, whatever the need may be, and respond accordingly with the resources available to us to eliminate the need, or at least push it away for a while until it rears its ugly head once again. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. And for whatever reason, God chose 2,000 years ago to establish the church of Jesus Christ and use a ragtag bunch of hypocritical people who can be too rigid and too petty and too judgmental to do the work that needs to be done for the sake of Jesus Christ in the world, and we do it well. We're all sinful. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect by any stretch, but it is an extraordinary thing to think about how God continues to use the church with all of its fault and all of its failing, to be the instrument, the primary instrument in the world to alleviate suffering. Now listen to what Paul said. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, so let us not grow weary of doing what is right. Paul means don't get tired of doing good. There's a phrase that goes around a lot of times after we have to meet some kind of need in our country because of a hurricane or a tornado or whatever, and they'll say people are starting to have compassion fatigue. What does that even mean? All of a sudden, I just don't care anymore. I'm tired of caring. I'm tired of being concerned. I'm tired of loving. There is no such thing as compassion fatigue in the life of the church. Because we would have quit a long time ago, you all, because there's always a need. The need never goes away. We meet the need, and then there's another one. If the church suffered from compassion fatigue, we would have failed to be the church generations ago. So we meet whatever the need may be, recognizing that every human being is of sacred worth and entitled to receive what it is we have to offer. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, food, clothing, shelter, whatever it may be. 
centuries ago, Deacon Lawrence, who was the head of his respective congregation and responsible for all of the sacred items within the church, many of which were made out of gold, chalices and candlesticks and all sorts of crosses. Well, one day the government came to Deacon Lawrence and said, it is time to surrender all of your treasures to the government. And Deacon Lawrence said, well, it's going to take me a few days to gather all of those treasures together. And they said, we'll give you a few days and then we're going to come back to receive the treasures. A few days went by, the government officials came back and they walked into the church filled with the poor and the blind and the lame and the sick. And they said, where are the treasures? And Deacon Lawrence said, they're all around you. The treasures in the church are the people who have a need. They are of sacred worth. They are of more value than anything else. Now, when you think about Christianity as a whole, you think about organizations that pitch in to help. The Red Cross, Christian organization. The Salvation, a Christian denomination. The United Methodist Committee on Relief. The Baptist Men. Many of these local church organizations and denominational organizations have a worldwide impact and effect because when there is a need, these are the kind of organizations that immediately respond in the moment. They don't wait around. They are on the front end of the battle, whatever it may be. Because these are people who are driven by their understanding of what it means to be a follower of the one who reached out to the people who were most desperate and responded accordingly. And we are his presence in the world today as the church, as Christians. So talk all you want about how hypocritical we can be and how judgmental, but don't ever criticize the church for not being compassionate or concerned. Because we are all the time. Because we follow the one who was all of the time. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, says in the Bible, faith without works is dead. Now what did James mean by that? Well, he explains. He says to the early church, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you walk by someone who has a need, and you simply say, good day, and you pass on without responding to that need, you're not a Christian to begin with. See, caring and Christian go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. One cannot be a Christian without being concerned and showing compassion to those who have a particular need, whatever the need may be. Then there was Jesus himself who said, if you follow me, you go the extra mile. See, you don't just meet the standard obligation. You go even further and further and further. And he also reminds us that every time we help someone else, whatever that need may be, we are literally helping him. I hear people say all the time, listen, you know, those people aren't even supposed to be here. Why are we spending all these money helping those kind of folk? They're over here illegally. I don't care why they're here or how they got here. They're here, which means we have an obligation and responsibility to try to meet the need. Let the government do what the government does. The church is going to do what the church does. And see the sacred worth of every human being, no matter who she or he may be or where they came from. Because that's our 
calling. I remember reading an article just a few years ago about a town in Florida that had enough with vagrants. It wasn't good for industry, tourism. So they decided to outlaw any kind of assistance given to those who were in need. Well, guess what? The church said, sorry, too bad, so sad. And two pastors went out of their way to find the homeless and feed them and house them. And both of those pastors were arrested. Proudly arrested. And guess what? That law is not in place anymore. We cannot see needs in the world and turn a blind eye. It is turning a blind eye to God. It is turning a blind eye to our Savior. And we don't do that. So we respond accordingly. The church has always been that way. If you think about it, back during medieval times when all of these plagues were ravaging Europe and people were fleeing, the church stayed in place and ministered and cared for the dying, many of whom were followers of Jesus Christ, would end up dying themselves. The church remained in place when everybody else fled, trying to meet a particular need. Now think about it. There was at one time in history, in most countries, a law that allowed one to discard a child legally if that child became too much of a burden. Let's get rid of them. I was in Africa just a few years ago. And many children on mercy ships where we were staying were discarded children because they had some kind of physical condition. So they were sent out and left. The church came along and said, no, nah, no more. We'll create orphanages. Orphanages were birthed out of the church who took all of these children in and started caring for these children who had no mother or no father. Maybe because they were discarded, maybe because something happened to mom and dad, whatever it may be, the church was the one that stepped up as the institution to care for them, not local government. Many times over my years, literally thousands and thousands of times, I've gone to visit people in the hospital, and more often than not, the name of the hospital is church-related. I've been to Methodist Hospital many times. I've been to All Saints Episcopal Hospital many times. I've been to Baylor Baptist Hospital countless times. I've been to Presbyterian Hospital over and over again. I've been to Baptist Hospital in Little Rock, St. Vincent. All of these church-related institutions that are what we call hospitals, why do they exist? Because the church said we got to meet a need. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are really not just Christian, we are caring Christians. Those two words go hand in hand. How is it that I can stand up and say, we want to build a habitat house, please raise $40,000 for us, and we get $171,000 instead? How is it that I can stand up and say, listen, we need crackers. It sounds silly, but we need crackers, and we need lots of them, and now we have 10 months' worth. How does that happen? 
How is it that when there's a tornado that ravages our city, we can stand up and say, listen, we have all kinds of people who've been affected, some in our own church and some we'll never know by name, but we need to step up and do something to help. And we had so much money toward the end, we were trying to figure out what to do with the money. We were calling different places. We've got money. How can we help? That's how generous you have been as a church just this year alone. You know why? Because you're the church. You don't have any choice. You know that. That's who we are. It goes hand in hand with being a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm proud to be the pastor of this church because I know this church is willing to do what it needs to do to be who it's supposed to be. Because you have been for more than a century and you will continue to do so. Until Jesus returns, whenever that might be. Think about over the years your own experience with the church when there has been some kind of major disaster or some kind of earth-shattering historical event. People just automatically turn to the church, even if they're not Christian. Do you remember after 9-11, the Sunday after that and the few Sundays after that? Now, it faded away like everything else, but people didn't know what to do after 9-11. So you know what they did that Sunday? You remember? They went to church. It looked like Easter Sunday in churches. What do you do? We've never been attacked like this. Where do we go? We'll go to the church. When Susan and I were in Houston, there was Hurricane Harvey, 51 inches of rain in four days. We lost, in our church, almost 500 families lost their homes. Families. Our church flooded. Our second campus suddenly became a place where people could come and get supplies, and they came by the thousands. Because they said, you know what, we don't know where else to go, but we knew we could come to the church. We all remember Hurricane Katrina, and all of a sudden churches opened up their doors to people they'd never seen before and housed them and fed them and cared for them for weeks and weeks after that. What an inconvenience. What a financial blow to any church to have to come up with all of that money and have to have enough volunteers to have security and pay for that and to make sure that everyone's needs are met. I mean, my gosh, can you imagine how much money? Guess what? The church did it. The church, the church, the church. So what we're concerned about as followers of Jesus Christ is one's body, mind, and soul. Because at one time or another, for all of us, those particular needs need to be met, and the church needs to be made up of caring Christians who are willing to meet the needs of mind, body, and soul. So we do that every week in this church. I mean, you can be involved in exercise classes, meet the needs of the body. We have classes at time on nutrition. We have classes about on occasion about how to do your income tax, how to apply for Medicare, Medicaid, whatever it may be. We have all these things that are not quote-unquote religious, but they are religious because they're meeting a need and caring for those who otherwise would go without. And then, of course, we try to meet the needs of the soul. We have small groups, and we have Bible studies, and we have hospital visitation, and we have prayer groups, and we have those who reach out to people who have gone through some kind of loss. We have all kinds of ministries in the life of the church, all of which are to meet the needs of the greater good. Now, Paul says, don't ever get tired of doing that. And he says, you don't only do it for everybody out there, but you also do it for each other. 
So we do that for one another. That's what it means to be the church. Because everybody's soul is sacred and of great worth to God. So it ought to be for us. Now, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I remember years ago, when I was in junior high school, my dad came home very emotional one evening. He'd gone to see a member of the community. He was not a member of my dad's church, but he was in the community. He was a rough man, had a reputation for being a womanizer and a drunkard and all of those kind of things. My dad would go see him regularly, get his oil changed at that man's place of business. And every time he was there, my dad would say, hey, why don't you come to my church? I'd love for you to visit Sunday. And he'd say, oh, preacher, you know better than that. I don't believe in that Jesus stuff. I'm not going to your church. And every week, my dad would go over there and have a cup of coffee with him for years and invite him every time to come to church. And every time, it was an emphatic no. I guess one day he'd had enough, couldn't tolerate it anymore. This dead gum preacher is making me crazy. So when my dad invited him to church one more time, he said, listen, preacher, I don't get it. You have asked me hundreds of times to go to church. I'm not going to your church. Quit asking me. Why do you ask me that all the time? And my daddy said, I'm telling you why. Because I'm concerned about your very soul. And that man started weeping uncontrollably and said, nobody has ever loved me enough to be concerned about my soul. See, that's what we do in the church. We're concerned about everybody. We're concerned about everybody's soul. We're concerned about everybody's body. We're concerned about everybody. That's what it means to be the church. We're caring Christians. Those two words go hand in hand, lockstep with each other. So we continue. We'll make an appeal at some point. You'll respond accordingly. We'll continue to do what we need to do on a daily basis to meet the needs in all sorts of ways, mind, body, and soul, because we are the church of Jesus Christ. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we're all about. Hallelujah. Amen.